New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. I did not attempt to pronounce anything in German for the introduction to this episode, but we are going to be talking about a lot of things Bundesliga because joining me is our resident Bundesliga expert, Mr. Manuel Veit of Gegenpressing, fame the Gegenpressing Bundesliga podcast, as well as Transfermarkt. Manuel, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me back. It's been way too yes, long. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about this before we started recording. Normally, we have you on like somewhat regularly, but between mm. the World Cup and then the Bundesliga break, it has been way too long. And yeah. it's always interesting because if we did this show a week or two ago, we would be having, say, a very different conversation about, about Bayern Munich as opposed <laughs> to the one we're going to be having here shortly. So things change really quickly. But again, I, I appreciate you taking the time, especially since you are quite busy yourself between Transfermarkt and uh, the uh, Pressing, the Bundesliga podcast, uh, going full time. Congrats on that, my friend. Yeah, full time. Well, it's it's not just me. It's Stefan Bienkowski too, who's been of a course. trooper um, and is currently <laughs> holding up the Ford transfer mark, watching some Premier League game. Um, <laughs> is that how you treat the English game? Some Premier League game? It doesn't matter. It's not the Bundesliga, so no, I don't care. It it doesn't matter in this context. <laughs> I see. I see. <laughs> Wait, in which which game do you think it is that he's watching? Because. It might matter, but probably not, I suppose. Probably not. It's some team called United. I don't oh, know. I've, I think I've heard of them. I've, I've heard they're maybe good. We'll see if they end up playing uh, Union Berlin in the Europa League. Uh, hopefully, might. Yeah. hopefully they will. Uh, and we will be talking about Union Berlin here uh, shortly. But again, I wanted to just say that if you have never heard uh, Gegenpressing, I keep saying the full name because there are two Gegenpressing podcasts, I believe, one of which is in German. So you'll know right away if you don't speak German that that's not the one for you. <laughs> but the Bundesliga podcast, it's a there aren't that many or many at all. English language, German football centric podcasts. And, and yours is one that always does a great job of sort of getting to the major narratives of the day, but also mm-hmm. getting into the tactics and how the games actually went. It's pretty clear that you all actually watch games and, and then have informed thoughts from those games, which isn't <laughs> always the case with some shows. So just wanted to plug it one more time as being a really great show. Hopefully you're still enjoying doing it. No, it's been great. Um, you know, we've, we've upped the coverage. We've gone, um, Two full shows that are available for free uh, for everyone. Um, that's the main show and the, the preview show. Um, the preview show, I have to say, we do an association with Get German Football News. So shout out to them for always giving us a plug. Um, but yeah, so those two shows are available for free. And then we have two extra shows that we have behind the Substack uh, paywall, which I think, you know, Substack has been such a fantastic tool for writers who want to cover topics that are not maybe as big mainstream, um, but still want to monetize it, right? Because it is such a 
you don't you don't necessarily need to do the kind of content that mm-hmm. you get thousands and thousands of clicks for. You can essentially just write something more in depth and thoughtful and because you're not reliant on reach on a huge reach, but just on the people that are subscribing to what you write anyways or produce in terms of podcasts. It gives you a lot more freedom and creativity and yeah, it's been great. I mean, I wanna say all oh, subscribers are the best because it's an ever-growing community <laughs> um, and they're very engaged. Um, you know, if you, if you haven't found it already, we actually, you know, Substack is fantastic because it has a chat function too. So we can actually stay in touch with the people that are subscribing and, and get feedback pretty much right away. And unlike Twitter, it's not a cesspool. So <laughs> <laughs> people... That's always a positive. Yeah, it is, it's been really great uh, in that regard. So... Yeah, no, nice. it's it's been great and it's been it's been a fantastic experience for us. You know, it allowed us to now have four podcasts a week. Uh, both of us do at least one written article a week, and that's a full feature. Like, it's not just some short. Mm. Here is player A going to player like, to club B. It's like a full on thought piece every time. Um, and when time allows it, or we go to a major game, we usually do. Then a thoughts piece on the game that we attended to as well. Um, that's not guaranteed content, but it's extra content when we have the time, right? So, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, really, really awesome. And if you want to check it out, it's, you know, you can find it on my Twitter or it's just go on the Substack and find Gegenpressing. And on Substack, there is no German version. We're the only ones. There we go. All right. So you're the only one there. That that makes things a little more clear. Uh, if you are on the fence, if you haven't yet subscribed or uh, joined the sub- Substack, then maybe you can use this as your introduction to mm-hmm. Manuel and uh, the show they do because Manuel brings the knowledge when it comes to many things, but the Bundesliga specifically today. Uh, and let's get into that for a moment. Bayern Munich uh, this weekend reminding everyone that they're Bayern Munich with a 3-0 mm-hmm. win over Union Berlin. Uh, I want to start with that game, but specifically Union Berlin first. I think many yeah. people... We're inclined to say, and I think I would put myself in this category when I saw the result of like, well, that's that. They're done with the title challenge. Mm. Uh, but it sounds like they, and they might very well end up falling back, but it does also sound like maybe we could say the result owes at least somewhat to their fixture congestion this season. Yeah, no, it does. And I think Bayern Munich were really quick to to admit to that as well, right? Julian Nagelsmann um, saying after the game that um, if they hadn't played midweek against Ajax, this would have been a very different fixture for Union Berlin. Um, and I think the 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 game against Ajax um, highlighted why why Union Berlin maybe at full fitness could have been a lot more dangerous to Bayern Munich, right? Because Ajax and Bayern Munich play a very similar style of football. Um, of course, it's you know, there's some small differences, um, especially since Nagelsmann has taken over. But they like to have the ball. They they, they sit really high. They they control possession. They play a lot of passes. You know, sort of the, all the football that Ajax play. Um, and I mean, they, there is that connection. You know, modern Bayern Munich was essentially invented by Louis van Gaal, right? Um, for a um, former Ajax coach. So. I think in a lot of ways, um, when, when I looked at, watched the Ajax game, um, and Union smashed Ajax, right? Well, defeated Ajax 3-1. They didn't smash them. They basically did what they always do, give them the ball and then just hit them where it hurts. Um, and I thought, okay, well, if they play like that against Bayern, they will have a pretty good chance. But I completely forgot that how taxing their style of game is, right? And, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Union Berlin, Berlin deal with, this whole Europa League run, um, I think that is going to be 
something fascinating to watch, right? Because the deeper they go into the Europa League, the more games they will have. And are they going to come at some point to a conclusion that it's going to be one or the other? They can't do both, right? And um, yeah, that's always an interesting one to watch. I don't think Union Berlin is quite done yet. Um, we had that before that we thought, okay, now they're out of the title race and then they, they close the gap to Bayern Munich and we'll see if this, if this is going to be, um, if this narrative is going to repeat itself, right? Where Union Berlin are seemingly, okay, well, we lost this game. Um, we're three points behind now. Um, let's forget it. Or if, because I think there's another spell in Bayern Munich where they're going to drop points if they're going to capitalize it from the, from it then. I did not realize the amount that Union are okay with not having the ball. I saw the scoreline mm. for the Ajax game. I thought that was pretty impressive. I saw the goals. I did not see that Ajax completed 600 passes to Union's yeah. 156. Ajax with 73% of possession. Is that, maybe not to that degree, but is that standard for the way Union want to play, the way they want these games to play out against stronger opposition? Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, they're quite happy with giving the opponent the ball and say, here, do your thing. And then when we get it, we're going to, to quickly hit it forward and we're going to break you down. And when we have, uh, you know, the XG, everyone has been ha- been hammering on the XG and how low it is. But the truth also is that they're extremely efficient when it comes to converting their chances. And they have been all season. And I mean, they now have been outperforming the XG for a good 23 games and all the Europa League games, right? So at some point, you you look at the, the XG model and say, well, maybe this is by design. And um, it's working. Urs Fischer has come up with a design and that is essentially kind of... Everyone in the Bundesliga plays gegen pressing, right? It produces this wonderful style of football. It produces a ton of goals. Um, Stefan always jokes. My colleague Stefan Bienkowski always jokes that no one in Germany can defend. And there's some truth in that, right? No one can defend, but Union Berlin can. And I think that is sort of how they decoded the Bundesliga a little bit, that unlike everyone else, they actually know how to defend. And they use that ability to defend to essentially... Um, sit very deep and then play this taxing style of attacking football that when they win the ball, go quickly forward and then also do capitalize from their chances. And yeah, I, I, I think this is the start. The, the Ajax game was essentially the blueprint. And I think they would have loved to use that blueprint against Bayern Munich, but it just wasn't there. I think the, the, the energy level wasn't there. The, that they don't have the depth in the squad to play this kind of style twice in one week. Um, and I think it just showed. The idea that no one in the Bundesliga can defend, can we spend some time on that one? Because that's sure. an idea that I knew existed and is something that's often said about, say, the Dutch league. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't know it was quite a thing when it comes to the Bundesliga. Yeah, I, so uh, we have this argument, not just on the podcast, but I can also... I tell you're thrilled to talk about it, <laughs> on <laughs> based, the, based on that series of sighs. On the, on the, on the, on our... Um, Gegenpressing WhatsApp chat. That's a secret chat that a few other writers are on as well. And I, my argument, counter argument is that nowadays almost nobody can defend anymore because I think the game has never been as fast as it is, as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of teams rely on very, very fast players and it is so much easier now to overrun a defensive line, right? Um, so I think what German teams have done 
And I think you see it in, in other leagues too, the Premier League, for example. Um, although you have more Union Berlins than you have in the Bundesliga, I would argue, in, in the Premier League. Um, but I think what's going on is that a lot of teams rely on speed, right? And sort of the kind of countermeasure to uh, players becoming faster and faster is teams employing fast defenders. Um, one great example is Bayern Munich with Alfonso Davies, right? Um, sort of making up for these defensive weaknesses that a lot of these teams have or by sitting up very high by by playing defenders that are also sitting, that are A, sitting very high, but are also very fast. Um, so I just think that this typical... And in hockey, they have this great term, a stay-at-home defender. I think that kind of is a that is that is sort of doesn't exist at the moment in in German football as much as it does maybe in other leagues, except for Union Berlin, who quite happily do it. Right? Um, they've yeah. almost kind of gone the opposite way that they try to not even have sit very deep and then quickly go through midfield straight into the attack and. Yeah, that's sort of a brand of football that is very different um, than what you see with a lot of other teams. What you do see is that some other teams in the bottom of the table are catching on to it. Um, and I, I will think it's interesting that, you know, it used to be in German football that if you were in trouble, um, you would try to get out of trouble by playing good football. Um, what you're seeing though now is Schalke is a recent example. Schalke is a team on the up, right? They sort of have copied what Union Berlin have done and they've done it to great success against Union Berlin in that goddamn awful 0-0 draw that we all had to witness two weeks ago or three weeks ago. I guess it's now almost. Um, so I think it's almost like a style that is catching on a little bit. And I wonder too if this is like a trend where you will see more German teams coming up with more different styles, maybe sort of kind of getting rid of what our podcast is named after gegenpressing, right? Will you change the name of the podcast then no. to <laughs> Defensive Solidarity or something? No, we will not. <laughs> um, I was going to go to Bayern, but actually, since you brought up Schalke, uh, they're in 18th place right now uh, mm -hmm. on 16 points. Bochum, one place ahead with 19. Uh, Hoffenheim, Stuttgart, same number of points, better goal differences. And then there's Hertha in 14th with 20 points. Uh, so it sounds to me, it seems to me like those are the five teams that maybe will be battling for relegation. Do you feel like like all of them are capable of making those sort of adjustments to be more defensive, to be more sound of the way Schalke have? Or do you think a few of those teams will sort of find their way to the rock bottom part of the table? Well, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, you, you see Bochum do it quite a bit too, right? Um, Schalke is a great example. And Schalke are very much on the up. Um that, but then you have Stuttgart, who have the Labadia has Bruno Labadia, the head coach, has gone, gone to great length to point this out. I mean, he is right. They have the youngest team in the Bundesliga. Um, and the question is then, with a young squad like that, are you able to play this kind of style? Especially if your team has been put together to play a um, attractive style of football or attacking style of football. And especially if you're from the city that... Uh, <laughs> is the home of the the head coach that has spawned the idea of gegenpressing or made it a, a common term, right? Jürgen Klopp is from Stuttgart. Um, Ralf Rangnick is from that area as well. Um, a lot of the, the the coaches in German football that have sort of created the style of play are from that area. So I wonder if Stuttgart I have it even in their DNA. Um, because like if you're relying on a lot of young players, then 
it's it's kind of difficult to if your recruitment process for many years has been to play attractive attacking style football it's very hard to then switch right um so i i can see them and i'm reprojecting them to be in a lot of trouble going going into the relegation battle um why we kind of feel like that schalke maybe can actually maybe fight their way out of it um even though they are currently last that the trend is different um you know three three times zero zero draws where they kind of laid the foundation for that defensive defensive strength and then they they won the game against stuttgart which is a six pointer right and so that's now four games in a row where they have collected points and if you're collecting points in a relegation battle, you don't necessarily need to win all these games. You know, you only need to win every once in a while. But if you're not getting, if you're not conceding, you're in a really good place. And I actually kind of feel that Schalke is probably going to wait it, work their way out of that. And I can see sort of the same with Bochum. And then you have the likes of Stuttgart and Hoffenheim hmm. who could be in real trouble. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Broker dealer. Hoffenheim very much conceding goals of late, yeah. uh, winless in their last five. All of those would be losses, uh, some fairly sizable. Uh, my question, as always, is coming from an American interest. Uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo taking over there. Mm. How much do you think he's going to regret that decision? Uh, how much pressure do you think he's under to stay up this season? Or if he goes down, do you think they will stick with him and sort of build around him? Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> I always like to get those in early. Anytime I get Manuel saying that was a good question early on, I'm yeah. always pleased. Uh, although sometimes that means I've just asked a very long and meandering one that requires a lot of thought. So, Pellegrino Matarazzo has a has a past with Hoffenheim, right? Um, he he worked under Julian Nagelsmann there, and and was in the academy as well. Um, I believe every worked away for Nagelsmann too. 
And then they kind of sort of went their separate ways. Nagasman, of course, um, heading first to Leipzig and Bayern and Pellegrino Matarazzo heading to, um, Stuttgart. And for Matarazzo, this is a return to sort of the club where, where his coaching career really took off. And I think that, um, he made this decision with a lot of thought in mind and also knowing that there is an environment for him there to succeed. Um, and I think too, with that in mind, I don't, I can't see both sides agreeing to this, to this comeback, right? Him coming back and Hoffenheim taking him back, um, without there being a long-term plan in place. Um, so I would be surprised if Materazzo is going to be let go if he gets relegated. Having said all that, I know that although we have this understanding and thought that Hoffenheim is this club that kind of plans things years in ahead, um, Dietmar Hopp, the investor owner, right? Although he's now announced today that, um, he's going to give back his shares and return the club to 50 plus one. Um, SAP, the, the company that he founded, the, the software technology company, right? Still has, has a huge say in the club and the way that the club has been structured and, and put together. And so we have this sort of thought that, um, Hoffenheim, um, is this technology hub, does things different, think tank kind of club. Kind, I mean, the way it was set up after, under Ralf Rangnick. When the reality is there too, that there is certain things that are going on there that kind of makes me think, okay, well, that's kind of weird and odd. That's the kind of sort of thing that traditional clubs have in German football. Um, there is, it's been suggested to me, and I'm going to put a lot of caveats on this and maybes and ifs and buts and uh, supposedly, because <laughs> we don't want to get sued, but <laughs> that um, a big German agent has a separate air budget there to sign his own players. Um, and this agent may or may not uh, represent a former American national team player uh, in John Anthony Brooks, right? So, and that's the kind of thing where I think, okay, well, that's really weird. Why would you give an agent that sort of power within a club, right? And that's not exactly forward thinking. Ah, that does make more sense like then when you look at some of their roster build and the players mm -hmm. they've brought in. Do you feel like Hoffenheim are one of those clubs that will be in trouble. Like if you're looking at the teams that maybe finished 17, 17th and 8th, 18th, the automatic relegation spots, who would be your bets to be in those spots at the end of the season right now? Well, at the moment, um, I think, you know, that the teams that we're sort of projecting, it's not looking good for Hertha, although they just won. It's not looking good for Stuttgart. Um, I'm really, st I'm still worried about Hoffenheim as well. And then you're looking at Bochum and Schalke, who've, who've sort of kind of been trending upwards, although Bochum dropped points, right? <sighs> the, the, the bottom two places, that's always so hard because yeah. every year is so different. Um, I would actually kind of go with, I would possibly go with Hertha and uh, Hoffenheim there, to be honest. Um, and then maybe Stuttgart in the relegation playoffs. I could see Bochum and Schalke working their way out. Uh, Augsburg, it seems to be then would be safe. Currently, they're thirteenth on twenty four points, uh, but they're not scoring a ton of goals. I think they're near the bottom in terms of goals scored. Uh, what I'm hearing is that they need Ricardo Pepe back and scoring a bunch of goals for them. That should solve all the problems, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you yeah. for your polite laugh at that one. <laughs> it's, um, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, that's the plan. Um, even though maybe the different parties involved in this plan have different thoughts and ideas of how this is going to go. Uh, <laughs> I can only say what I've been told. That is that Hoffenheim absolutely want the player back. Um, so, you know, there's been certain reports out there by um, other journalists, and I don't want to discredit them because I know that usually their sources are very strong, and I can only only suggest that they've been told something from a different party involved in this, right? Um, and I think those who are listening to the podcast can kind of put one and one together and understand where the different parties are. Augsburg definitely want Ricardo Pepe back when his loan expires at Groningen. Um, and they are going to reinsert him in the, in the squad and they want to see what he can do at the Bundesliga level. That is their plan. I understand that maybe the plan at the Pepe side is different. Whether there's going to be some sort of solution, resolution to this, we'll have to see, I guess, next year. But you have to also understand, like, Scoring a lot of goals in the Netherlands doesn't necessarily translate right away into scoring a lot of goals in the Bundesliga or any of the top four leagues, right? We see this all the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he does really well there. Um, I think it's been a really good move, and Augsburg have pointed out that this has been a really good move uh, for all parties involved. But we'll have to actually wait and see whether it actually translates into him scoring maybe 10, 12, 13 goals next year in Germany for Augsburg, right? Um so yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of water down the Isar, as we say in Munich, <laughs> until we get get some sort of understanding, clarity of what's actually going to happen there. I have been told by a reliable source though that no one of the Bundesliga can defend all that well either. So maybe it won't be that hard of, harsh of a transition back from the Netherlands to the Bundesliga. Well, although we've had no changes, um, you know, if Union Berlin forces four or five other teams in the Bundesliga to do. To uh -oh. play different football, <laughs> then that's we your. We got to start defending. I don't like that. I don't like that. Let, <laughs> no let no one likes that. It's the highest scoring league in, in Europe. We want goals, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed, we do. Well, speaking of scoring goals, let's talk Bayern then. Uh, Bayern mm. Munich with the win, as I said in the beginning. Uh, Nagelsmann reverting back to a four-two-three-one in that one seemed to get the best out of his squad. Much has been made of his usage of Thomas Muller in that game. He put him back in a spot where he yeah. was more comfortable, and it showed. This is a very broad question to start the Bayern Munich conversation, but I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on how this season has been for Julian Nagelsmann. Because, as I said, mm -hmm. if we recorded this a week ago, the conversation is all about how he couldn't control his temper and how he was like trying to misdirect the media, but it ended up like landing on criticism of him and his approach. And there's rumblings about discontent in the locker room. So at the yeah. same time, they're still challenging on multiple fronts. They still look like a very good team. They won this weekend with an insane number of players on the bench. Their depth is ridiculous. So that's a positive and a negative. And, mm. and I end up just wondering sort of what you've seen from him, what you make of this season for Julian Nagelsmann so far. Well, um, I think it's been difficult for him and everyone involved. Um, and, you know, I just come back from Munich and I was there when they beat Bochum and it wasn't the most convincing result. I mean, it was a, a convincing, it was a convincing result, but not a convincing performance. Let me rephrase that. I think what's, what's going on with Nagelsmann and Bayern is that it's not the easiest relationship, um, to put it that way. And I think as long as he wins games, no one is going to care about all these things that are going on and the way he's perceived in and around the club. 
I mean, Julian Nagelsmann is still very young, right? Um, he's 35, I believe now. And so he's, he's at an age where, um, he's not much older than many of the players. And he's come in with a very different kind of mentality. Um, and not maybe the statesman like character that you usually see with Bayern Munich coaches, whether it's Pep Guardiola, Carlo Ancelotti, Jupp Heynckes, um, go further back or Mahitzfeld or Louis van Halbo, we already mentioned on this podcast, right? They all were all kind of senior personalities with a lot of experience. And you didn't, you don't really have that with Julian Nagelsmann. And I think he still kind of finds, still kind of finding his way in and around the club and having to deal with these, all these other big personalities that are there, whether it's Oliver Kahn, um, the, the CEO, right? Um, whether it's the director of sport, Hassan Salihamidzic, um, these are all very big personalities that have won a lot of things as as players. Julian Nagelsmann was never a successful player. He he tore his ACL while playing for 1860s Munich Academy, right, and never had a playing career. So it's um, I think he's he's found this taxing and he found this this difficult sort of trying to insert his personality, and he often comes across as maybe slightly arrogant and pushy. Um, and then Bayern Munich have found that difficult because he sometimes says things that he thinks because he's still in his thirties. And I guess both of us are still in our thirties, right? We sometimes say things that we, that we think and we don't have that seniority yet to understand to sometimes be quiet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I think that is something that they found difficult. And then also I think he's very demanding towards the players that in his coaching sessions and, the way he's worked at Hoffenheim and in Leipzig, the, you know, the Bundesliga has always made a big deal of showing the way his coaching sessions worked and show, putting everything on a big screen. The fact that he never runs a coaching session twice, right? He never repeats any coaching session. I think all of that has been something that the players a find, like, but also find demanding. And then, of course, you have a bunch of guys in the dressing room that have won pretty much everything. Um, and he has to kind of insert his personality there. I mean, a good example is the whole situation with Manuel Neuer and the, the, the interview and the fact that, you know, that he was so upset that they fired his, his goalkeeper coach. Essentially, the moment Manuel Neuer was out with an injury, Julian Nagelsmann went and replaced Tony Tapalovic, the goalkeeper coach, with a goalkeeper coach that he wanted, right? As part of his coaching staff. And those are the sort of things I think that He's trying to insert himself on the club, but there's a lot of pressure from, from the bosses, but also the players to, to sort of, you know, because it is, it's a shark tank and to sort of always test him. And I think that is why you see so many difficulties. Now you have a week of peace because they won and they have a week off, which is great, but you, they might as well, they, they could draw next week and we're starting this entire debate all over again, right? Um, while they're also in a situation where they can't really fire him because they paid 25 million euros to sign him from Leipzig. Yeah, which is a, a fair amount of cash to splash. Then again, whenever they bring people over from Leipzig, it doesn't always mean that they're going to play them a lot or that that's going to go well. So maybe it's just another person they bring over that doesn't end up working out. Although Marcel Sabitzer has definitely worked out for Manchester United. So thank yeah. you for that, Bayern Munich. Staying with Manuel Neuer, though, uh, like that one does seem to be more of a big deal in my mind. Uh, and as you said, mm-hmm. it's because they, they fire. Neuer insisted on him 
being the coach when Neuer came over from Schalke. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah it's and his so, buddy. Yeah, Good so friend. this is his buddy. And for people who are new to the game or, or not as familiar, whereas you'll get like different coaches running different training sessions or doing different things, and maybe this person's in charge of scouting mm-hmm. and this person's in charge of set pieces. When it comes to goalkeepers, their training is ridiculous. That it, it mm-hmm. is the most intense training, I think, of any position on the pitch by far. And yeah. I think with that comes a lot of just day in, day out working with that person. And so you build these bonds, you build this friendship, you build this connection. And it was very strange to me that basically, yeah, as soon as Neuer is, what, at home recovering, that, that coach is sacked, in comes a new one. It felt to me like Nagelsmann taking the opportunity to prepare for Bayern Munich post-Manuel Neuer. Am I being premature in that one or, or maybe how premature am i being in that conclusion no i think that's a that's the right conclusion um i think that's exactly what's happening here they they're reshuffling the board in terms of power structure within the club um and this is nagelsmann is using this opportunity and i think it's not just nagelsmann i think uh, hasan salihamidzic is very much on board with that too is is neuer the first then of several big names you think that will be on the way out as you said there's those that group of players that have won everything mm-hmm. that have the experience i i feel like thomas muller is yeah. the, probably the first name that comes to my mind when thinking about that that like group of players do you think we'll see some other big names on the way out this summer well it's a question if it's the summer or if it's it's maybe a, a slow process right mm-hmm. um the neuer thing is really interesting to me because he insists on coming back. The club has been very vocal about him coming back, but um, he had two metastasal fractures and now he has this broken leg um, at a very complicated position, right? It's like the lower bones and um, it's a double fracture, if I'm not mistaken. He's a, he's a pretty big guy, um, you know, six foot five, over 200 pounds, um, extremely athletic, but as you said, the goalkeeper position is extreme, is very difficult. Um, and it, the training sessions are, are very hard. Goalkeepers work extremely hard during training and then not very much during games. Um, it's, it's kind of like the flip side, right? Of, mm-hmm. of the field position because they have to be ready when, when, when the time comes. And the, I, I do wonder, you know, with a, with, two, with that kind of injury history, um, and the age that he's approaching now, um, you know, he's going to be 37. Um, by the time he's going to be fully recovered, he will be 38. And the club must be wondering that too. They ha- I think what they're laying the ground for is the eventuality that Neuer does not come back. Mm-hmm. While they're publicly saying that they're thinking he's going to come back, I think they're laying the groundwork for that. What if the leg doesn't hold this? Is not able. What if he's not able to replicate uh, playing on this high level, right? Um, and that means that, for example, in the summer, I anticipate that Alexander Nübel will come back from from Monaco. Um, and it's been reported that Monaco has now given up signing him, right? Um, then they have Jan Sommer still there, who's on a, on a long-term contract. Although there is still rumors that they could sell him to Manchester United, um, you know, sort of earn that money back. But then you have uh, Sommer, Nübel, and Neuer trying to make his way back. And I think it's going to be an open competition. And the reason why they signed a new goalkeeper coach is to sort of ensure that there is actually an open competition for that position so that they have a neutral voice um, when it comes to assessing the goalkeepers that they have. 
St. Louis in Major League Soccer has some open DP spots. I know they've already got Roman Berkey, but could we see Lutz bring in Manuel Neuer no. and just have two <laughs> DP goalkeepers? Why not? No, I don't think so. Fine. I think um, when it comes to that kind of player going to MLS, um, there's very few markets that they would be interested in going to. And one of these markets um, cannot sign a player in the summer. Um, ah. you can, <laughs> so you can figure out who that is. Um, who in the galaxy could you possibly be talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, both LA teams, right? Can't sign anyone in the summer. Is that true? I knew the Galaxy couldn't. I well, didn't the know Galaxy LAFC are not allowed to, and the Galaxy and the LAFC have no spots. Ah, okay, okay, there we go. So yeah. they, they could if they bought somebody out or paid somebody yeah. down, but that seems unlikely. That seems unlikely because, like, I have recently spoken. Um, I know that there is a German player with a high profile who is really interested to go to Galaxy, but this would have been for the summer, so it's not happening. Ah, um, right. So, yeah, shelf that. Not worth reporting because it's not happening. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, and Lutz, um, when you look at the way that he's constructed his roster, mm-hmm. I know we're going off the record. We're going That's off a uh, tangent here, but I don't think he's interested in that kind of player. Yeah, that sounds, I mean, based on him saying we're not a team that like values DPs or sees the value yeah. in DPs, I would say he would agree with that. Yeah, I'm there on, the, on Saturday for the game, so I can ask him. There. Interesting. I love Lutz. That guy rules. We've talked about it every t- single time, and we always will because he rules. And yeah. I hope it goes well for him. They they did better than we certainly thought they would on this show uh, in their opener. We'll see if that continues. If it doesn't, then maybe Manuel Neuer, uh, I don't know, gets tricked into thinking that St. Louis is on the West Coast or something. But or, with that, or in South of Florida. <laughs> or South Florida. Yeah, it seems pretty likely as well as a possible destination. Uh, one more question about Bayern sticking with Nagelsmann. Have you seen him evolve his tactics or evolve his approach such that he could become that sort of elder statesman? Or do you think part of his identity, part of his style is always going to be to be a bit arrogant, to be a bit hot-headed? Yeah, I don't think he's going. He's ever going to change. Um, this is the personality that they got. Uh, he is a, of, of course, also he is someone who had a lot of success at a very young age, right? And so that gives you... If I was, if I had been the successful at that age, I don't think anyone could ever tell me anything. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> what did he start? What twenty eight was it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're that successful and wherever you go, you improve the team, and it's you're always on an upwards trajectory. I think a person like that will find it really difficult <laughs> to be told what to do. Do you think that ultimately? will be why he doesn't stay at Bayern Munich for a long, long, long time? Or do you think that's something that as long as he's winning, they will be happy with that personality? I mean, there's always that looming threat of a certain Thomas Tuchel being available. Hmm. If Hansi Flick were to be sacked by the the German FA and and they came in for Nagelsmann, could we just keep that going where the Bayern coach becomes the German national team coach and on we go? No, I think the the next German national team coach is currently working for a team uh, that starts with Liver and ends with Pool. That's what I was wondering. I keep <laughs> seeing that reported as like there's a lot of discontent with Hansi Flick. Let's just wait until Klopp is available and then yeah. we'll make that signing. It, it feels as though from some of like the German reporting or the German fan perspective that I have seen, it feels like a foregone conclusion, which is surprising to me. That Klopp is going to take over at some point. 
I mean, he yeah, said he, so much, right? Well. Like he said it. He said that he that that's his goal at some point to um, win a World Cup, and you know, the easier path for him would be to just take over Germany and do it with them. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, uh, we'll see what continues to go with uh, Bayern and Nagelsmann this season. Uh, we would expect them to be very, very much involved in the title race, if not uh, mm. in front for a good stretch of it. But Dortmund will have their say in that one. Seven consecutive league wins. I believe they are undefeated in 2023 getting results when in seasons past i think they would have dropped them or found a way to drop them based on what you've seen so far manuel do you think they can keep this consistency going for the rest of the campaign maybe not necessarily win the title but do you think we will Mm. see dortmund sort of keep pace with Bayern as opposed to falling off dropping points and finishing like seven to nine points behind Bayern? But in a really, really important stretch now, right? Um, they've won nine out of nine in all, across all competitions. Um, they now a big game on Friday against Leipzig, um, and Leipzig a a title contender as well. Um, you know, I think this game is going to determine. I don't think if one of those two teams loses, the title race is over for that team. Um, whether Dortmund or Leipzig lose, or if they draw. I think the title race is still very much open because I think Bayern have another spell in them where they're going to drop points. Um, but it is a very decisive few weeks for, for Dortmund for sure. So first it's Leipzig, then it's Schalke. Um, then you got, okay, then you got Cologne. That's a little bit easier, but then you got Bayern Munich. So you essentially for the next four match days in the Bundesliga, um, three are against key, against either rivals or against title contenders, right? You could even go one match day further, and then they have Union Berlin at home. So then you make it four out of five against really difficult opponents. Because Schalke, yes, are a relegation candidate, but the Revere Derby is different. I was at the Revere Derby um, in Dortmund for the for the return, and it, it took them a full 
I think it was in the 80th minute or something like that, that they finally scored and the match only ended 1-0 for Dortmund, right? Because the Revere derby is just so very difficult. And you just, you just talked in great length how Schalke have become increasingly defensive sound. They are the sort of team that would, would give them trouble. And then, of course, Bayern, Leipzig and Union Berlin, you know. And then I think if they get through that spell and it's still close or maybe even or they are ahead because they beat Bayern Munich, then it's for real. What role could the Champions League play in that one? Obviously, they've got the 1-0 yeah. lead heading into the second leg at Chelsea. Is is this a sort of, like, as silly as it may sound, is this positive either way? Like, if they win, then they've beaten Chelsea. They're on to the next round of the Champions League. If they lose, then it would be, I think, a, a dramatic turnaround. But at the same time, it just means they can focus on the domestic campaign that much more. Or can you see a scenario in which losing to Chelsea starts a bit of a skid for Dortmund? Yeah, I think it's the second. I, I think in the past we would have said, okay, well, maybe Dortmund should just go out there and focus on the league. But there's been too many times where when they had a negative result, they would kind of spir- it would just start spiraling, right? Um, so I think for them, the best thing, the best thing is just to keep winning. It doesn't matter who they face, whether it's in the cup, whether it's in the Champions League, whether it's in the Bundesliga, just keep winning. Because I think they're finally at a stage where they haven't been in a long time, where they just, no matter who they're playing, they feel like they can win the game. And the Chelsea result was a perfect example. Chelsea were desperate um, at the Westfalen Stadion, right? To get something out of it because of the situation that um, Graham Potter is in. And I think that Dortmund handled that match perfectly. You know, they said to Chelsea, here's the ball, do your thing. And the one opportunity that they, they, they got, they would, they completed and made it 1 0. And, you know, the bookies have them as favorites to go through, um, which makes sense. Um, they had them as favorites even ahead of the tie before they won 1 0 in Dortmund, right? So I think, um, for them, I think it's just about keeping this momentum going. And yeah, it means more games, sure. But at the same time, I think, they're almost at a stage now where it's best for them to just keep playing more games. And their depth and the squad depth is really good at the moment too. You you look at now that Sebastian Haller is back, right? Um, and what a story he has been. Mm-hmm. But you all of a sudden, Terzic is in a situation that a Dortmund coach hasn't been in a while where, oh, this first team isn't working. I'm just going to throw on Marlon. I'm going to throw on Royce. I'm going to throw on Gio Reyna. Um, we're going to have depth in our squad now. And I think that it makes them an extremely dangerous side. But I think those next five games in the Bundesliga plus the Chelsea fixture, so that's six games, that's going to be extremely interesting to watch. And I think it's going to determine a lot on where the Bundesliga title race is going as well, right? Um, although having said that, if Leipzig win, and Leipzig have been the, the best team in the league since Marco Rose has taken over, right? They are still very much in this as well. And so I think, yeah, for Dortmund, this, this week's of truth, but, you know, it, I think a bad, one bad result not ne- doesn't necessarily mean it's over. I think it's really about where they're at after that stretch. Manuel. What was it that made Julian Brandt wake up and remember that he was good at football this season? That, that's been a bit of a head-scratcher for me. He's the top scorer for Dortmund. I think he's second or joint second in assists. He's consistently yeah. one of their most top-rated players. But he's a guy who, this time last season, I thought, was just one of those players that they spent a lot of money on, didn't mm. quite come good, wasn't terrible, was a squad player, and then off he goes to a maybe mid-table Bundesliga club. And here we are with Julian Brandt back in there being one of their most critical players. I don't really understand how we got here. 
Yeah, no, I think um, that's been a head scratcher for a lot of people. Although um, Stefan and I actually did a podcast in the first half of the season where we really heavily criticized him for, for what he has done with his career. And I'm just looking at his age now, 26. And what I said um, at the time was that Julian Brandt reminds me a ton, a ton of Bastian Schweinsteiger. Um, and we all now remember Bastian Schweinsteiger, the World Cup winning player um, with Germany. And then, of course, he did it with the Chicago Fire as well, right? Oh, yes, of course. He won the World Cup with the Fire. Yes. <laughs> yeah, who, was, who could forget? That poor forget. journalist. I feel yeah. so bad for that person. <laughs> we'll never forget. But no, anyways, we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we made the point that actually I thought, okay, so, you know, for a long time until, you know, pretty much his mid-20s, Bastian Schweinsteiger was this uncompleted talent um, who never really got going he didn't um he didn't have a full position he was played as, as a winger at times right and it wasn't until louis van Hal basically put him in that number eight role uh six eight role that he became the player he ultimately would retire as right a world cup winning player a legend for germany um, a legend for bayern munich a player that had won any everything there is to win and i made the point at the time that julian brandt needs a Louis van Gaal equivalent at Borussia Dortmund, someone who just puts him in a role where he's not only his, his for the best of his ability, but also where he is forced to sort of take some responsibility. And it looks like Aiden Terzic just did just that. You know, he said to him, like, look, you're going to be an important player for me. I'm going to play you in a, a more important role. Um, you know, not necessarily as a full winger, but as one of those three players in midfield where, where you can roam a little bit. And it's done wonders. I think that's really what it's come down to. I think it's giving him, rather than saying, oh, you can't take the responsibility. We're going to kind of put you there and here. And yeah, maybe one day you're going to grow up and say, like, here's the responsibility. There it is. You know, you now you have to actually take an important role because we're making you. And I think he's just fully embraced that. And you see it. I mean, he's been outstanding. Um, his numbers have been incredible. And I think, too, he's become one of Dortmund's most important players. But he's not the only one. Like, we've we said for years, what's happened to Emre Can? Mm-hmm. And Emre Can has been playing an incredible, in that nine-game stretch, including the game against Chelsea, has, he has played incredibly well. He's almost looks like the guy he was for, at Liverpool. And that's a long time ago now, right? But yeah, Emre Can has been incredible as well. And so you got to give credit to Terzic that he's sort of resur- resurrected those two guys. Two more players I wanted to ask about for Dortmund. You mentioned one already. Uh, that would be Gio Reyna, mm-hmm. who, when the season resumes, uh, he, what, three goals in his first three games, all of those substitute appearances. Yeah. Uh, but since then, I think only two more appearances. One of them a start, but he's getting very limited minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think lots of conspiratorial brains uh, connected yeah. to what happened with the U.S. I don't know how much truth there is to that, but I no, would I'm... love to know if you have thoughts <laughs> on why we aren't seeing as much Gio Reyna or why we haven't seen as much of him lately. Yeah, no, I I, I, don't, I don't pay any attention to this conspiratorial stuff. Um, I think this is just a team that has found a formation that works. And um, I think Eden Terzic is just happy to have ace up his sleeve that he can bring on um, as an impact substitution 
I mean, he's he Gio is not the only one, right? Um, who sort of has to bite his time. Daniel Malen is out there as well. Um, who comes off quite comes off the bench quite often. Um, I think Terzic has found a formation that he likes, um, and he's using that. And at the moment, Giorena is looking in the from the outside in. But it's not just you know I mentioned um, there's certain players that are looking in from the outside. Even Marco Reus has been rotated in and out, mm. and that has been a a huge discussion point at times. Um, but I just think that. Eden Terzic is very much aware that he needs to have players that can come off the bench and sort of be impactful. Remember, Marco Reus didn't even come off the bench against Chelsea because Terzic didn't think it was the right right move to make, yeah. right? So I wouldn't pay any attention to it. I think at the moment, Dortmund are in a situation where they're fighting at all fronts. They have a realistic chance of winning not just a title, but the Bundesliga title. And I think the the personal situation of players is just secondary at the moment. And that includes everyone, whether it's a Max Hummels, a Marco Reus, you know, all these players, if they don't fit into a certain tactical situation at that moment, they are watching from the outside in. Do you get the sense, though, that the locker room is pretty united behind Terzic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting that they, 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 we try to talk a lot of stuff things into the Mark Roy situation, right? Um, and it is an interesting situation because like his contract is expiring um, in in the summer and we don't know whether he's going to renew or not. Although I've been told that the his personal trend is towards him signing a new contract. Um, but Dortmund won't want to pay a lot less money, right? Because he's getting older and he's the top earner there and they're trying to sort of um, earmark a lot of that money to offer Bellingham a huge contract mm-hmm. to sort of persuade him to maybe stay a little longer. Um, so they need to scratch together some cash. Um, having said all that, Royce is willing to, you know, has been has been pretty quiet about it. You know, there's these rumblings that have been going, that could be way louder, have been sort of subdued. And the same is true of Mats Hummels, right? There's another one who's been mostly on the bench, but hasn't really said much about it. And so I think the, the dressing room is quite united. Put this as an equivalent, like this would be the equivalent of like Thomas Müller and Joshua Kimmich being constantly on the bench, right? Yeah. Um, this would be kind of the equivalent. And the, the noise would be a lot louder, but it's not. And that tells me that Terzic has that dressing room united. Uh, I'm assuming he will keep it united if he's able to keep Jude Bellingham around. Uh, You mentioned him. That was the other player I wanted to ask you Mm. about. Uh, Because if you read uh, any sort of paper, any sort of coverage from the British perspective, it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to be in England or in the Premier League next season, maybe in Serie A, something like that. Uh, For you, Manuel... Do you think it's a foregone conclusion? Do you think that he will be gone no matter what, as long as everybody meets the 150 million euro price tag or whatever it is? Or do you think there is a scenario in which he sticks around? Kiel has said that he will try everything to sign him to a new contract. Let's see if he can get it done. Um, that tells me that it's not a foregone conclusion at all. Mm-hmm. Look, we have this every year. <laughs> we do. Every With single player, year. Every year. Every year we do have it. And um, usually the, those players do leave, but it usually takes longer than everyone anticipated. Remember when Erling Haaland was for sure gone after his first year at Dortmund and he, he didn't go. He went um, the year later. 
Um, remember when Sancho was 100% going to Man United, the British press even sent some poor guy to Dortmund to cover it there. They were like, what are you doing here? Like the deadline passed like a month ago. Dortmund will tell everyone that there will be a certain date in August where they can sign Jude Bellingham to. And if that date is passed, it's not going to happen. Right. And you can... Whatever that date is, Manchester yeah. United will put or it Or they might even sign him to a new I contract and then it won't happen at all. And then yeah, Sky and BT and all these other dudes, they can send all the press they want to Dortmund and hang out at, I don't know, what's a good place, the Rote Erde Stadion Bar and um, hope that someone will tell them something because we have that. Or someone will go in and pay 150 million euros before Dortmund's deadline and Jude Bellingham will go to that specific club. Um, everything else, like this, everything I'm reading right now is speculation because no one knows. Mm -hmm. No one knows. You can't tell me that anyone knows. I, I know that Dortmund are optimistic that they have a chance of giving him a contract offer that he might accept. That's what I know because that's what I've been told. Whether Boot Bellingham will accept that offer, we don't know. And I'm, you, people will say the Bellingham camp thinks this, the Bellingham camp believes that this is the best club for him and all that kind of stuff. No, that, that stuff isn't out there. I'm sort of convinced, strange as it may be, that winning the Champions League and then like losing the title to Bayern by like one point. Uh, is the best scenario for keeping Bellingham because then he wins some silverware. It's a big moment, but also it, it's like they ran him close. Maybe next year's the year. Whereas if they win the title, there's a part of me that wonders if he's like, okay, mission accomplished. We beat yeah. Bayern. I can move now. Life is good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very good point. I've thought that too. If he wins the Bundesliga title this year, then what else is there for him to do? Well, uh, if he does move on, that's probably for the best for RB Leipzig, who uh, are still also in that title race, mm. but would probably love for a key midfielder for an opponent to no longer be around. Yeah. Uh, I I'm equally confused by their season as I am by some of the, the other seasons and the other players we've talked about, because... It's been one where they bring in Timo Werner uh, during the summer. There's been changes. They've sold players. They've agreed to sell players uh, this coming summer. Uh, what, Christopher Nkunku is already gone. And is it Leimer or is it Hostenberg? Nkunku is not announced yet. Oh, who, Nkunku? It's not announced yet. Is it not official? Is it like unofficially official though? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like do, do you do you think this will be another year in which Leipzig are also sort of stripped of some key parts starting with Nkunku and then maybe losing a, a couple other ones in there Gvardiol I'm, I'm assuming will be the source of many 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 rumors yeah, this yeah summer. you can disregard like all summer rumors Guardiola yeah. isn't going nowhere in the summer you think I know all right well, that, that's that's good for Leipzig fans, the many that there are. Uh, like, so, do you think we're going to get basically the same team back then with Marco Rosa in charge? And it so, just seems like this is kind of building the foundation for next so, season. So, and Kunku will probably gone be gone to Chelsea. Um, I mean, from what I've been told, that deal is done. Um, yeah. It's just not announced. Konrad Leimer um, is going to join Bayern Munich on a free transfer. Again, that's not announced, but it's an open secret. Um, Leipzig have signed, they have this other club in Salzburg. You may have heard of them. I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah. So they signed Nicolas Seiwald from them. Um, was really good. He's going to replace Leimer. And they also signed Benjamin Chesko. 
um, who's been linked to all sorts of English clubs. I recently actually saw someone say, oh, he's going to Man United. I'm like, they already announced him to go to Leipzig. <laughs> 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 like last summer. <laughs> and I think that Timo Werner is um, is the replacement for Nkuku. Um Yeah, okay. That right. makes sense. So it, it seems like we'll get kind of more stability than I would have expected there. What does that mm. all mean for Caden Clark, if anything? Do you think we start seeing him get more uh, minutes more consistently? So I, people keep pestering me about it, so I just asked. I, figured, I asked I the club, and they said that they're quite happy with him, and they'll see how it goes, and they're giving him the time to get adjusted and um, you know, sort of recover from what wasn't an easy situation for him at New York, where he, I think, uh, frequently clashed with Gerhard Struber, right? The head coach. Um, I think that's known, right? People know this. Yeah. Okay. People don't know. Um, so, you know, I think they just going to give him the time. Um, they still believe in him. Um, if there is an opportunity to send him out on loan, they, they might do that. But for now, they kind of want to keep him around. Um, and I think he's made the bench already a couple of times. So yeah, I think. Um, with Caden Clark, he will give him, be given all the opportunities out, um, to, to be successful there. And then we, there's a few other clubs we obviously haven't had time to discuss. Le, uh, Leverkusen, not mm. in the top five, uh, which is my joke about mm. Leverkusen. They're always somewhere in the top five. This time they're bucking that by being at 11th. Yeah. Gladbach in 10th, Bremen in 9th. Uh, any other teams that you feel like we should spend some time discussing? Frankfurt, I, I heard you talking about as being a club that may be getting knocked out of the Champions League. Would yeah be the worst thing because it lets them just focus on finishing in the top four or the top five or six if they just want to be in Europe, period. They would obviously have to jump Freiburg to make that happen. Uh, Freiburg currently in fifth. Mm. Uh, either of those clubs you feel like are particularly compelling when it comes to the narrative uh, for the rest of the season? I, I really want Frankfurt to finish in the top four again because I think they're a sleeping giant and um, they're doing some really interesting things. I mean, obviously, they're um, going to lose Kamada to Dortmund. Um, but... Today, the reports are out that they are going to sign, um, oh my God, I'm going to butcher this name. So I apologize to all my, all your French <laughs> speaking oh for listeners. Um, Aoua from Olympic Lyon. Is that uh, how you pronounce saying, it? Uh, Aoua. Aoua? Is yeah, that it? That's, I, I have no idea. I think that's what he is in FIFA. So that's what I go with. Okay. Anyways, um, that's apparently it, it, it is. It, is it one consonant and the rest are vowels in his name? It's A-O-U-A-R. Yes, yes, you're right. Okay. Our. I think it is. <laughs> our. Yeah. Our. Um, linked with tons of clubs in the Premier League yeah. over the years, right? And yeah, Frankfurt done. Done deal. Signed. Um, so that's the Kamada replacement. That feels um, like a really good signing. I it's feel like really Awa, in the times that I've seen him, has always been really interesting. And I'm always surprised that he stays where he has stayed. So that It's move, a Frankfurt signing. Yeah. They are oh, really very is. good at business and they've getting increasingly better. I mean, they sent Kolo Moani on a free transfer. Did they really? They did. And they're going to get 100 million euros for him. Why are German clubs so good at that? But oh. Bayern Munich is obviously the main one. Why are German clubs so good at the free transfer? It's, um, yeah, they're just extremely good at scouting. And you and I have been to Frankfurt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the club is on really good footing. Uh, Markus Krisch is probably one of the most exciting sporting directors around. And he's really good at signing players, um, which is, of course, you American listeners out there would love that because that, he was also the one who went after Paxton Aronson, right? Um, oh, yeah. 
so he he does know what he's doing and they have certain targets in mind um and of course our our is the one that is going to replace Kamada but they also sort of you know, Paxton Aronson was signed um, with knowing that there is going to be always a couple of players leaving every year. Um, so they always try to have someone already in hand, you know, ready for someone when sort of player leaves. But it's just, just like some of the stuff that they do is so smart. Like Mario Götze, um, oh, yeah. the, the way he has blossomed now at Frankfurt has just been outstanding. He, he leads the league. I, I looked this up the other day. He leads the league in kilometers run. Um, which is just an incredible stat considering where he was at when he left Dortmund, right? He was physically not in a good place. He, he was extremely sick the year before um, and he's completely recovered during his time in Eindhoven and he leads the league in kilometers covered, but he also leads the league in, uh, in smart passes played. You know, he's, a, ex I think because he's now finally at age 30 at a place where he's a physical peak he can play the sort of style of football that we always wanted him to play, right? And um, But for Frankfurt to go in and say, okay, well, at PSV for two years, he's finally gotten to a place where he's mentally and physically in peak condition. He will help us. And then they pick him up for like a three, four million euros. And he's one of the best players in the league now. You know, that's the, that's the sort of thinking where they're like, this guy will make us instantly better. And... Um, Take a chance on it, and it works. If you had to guess, I don't know if you know off the top of your head. I'll Google it while I ask you. Who is Frankfurt's record transfer? What is their record outlay? Uh, their record signing. Ah, I have it for you. Philip Kostic? Uh, he does not appear to be in the top four, according to this website you may have heard of called TransferMarked. Okay, so the top signing of all time. The Kostic one is confusing because... They have the top signing being 22 million euros. You have the top signing being 22 million euros. And the next closest would be 10 million euros. Mm, I have to try to think. Who did they spend that much money Luka on? Luka Jovic, supposedly. Oh, yes. But still, that is not... The, the record signings being 22 million and then 10 million and 10 million really does tell you how good... They are at, at the business, which makes sense, though, right? Because isn't is Frankfurt uh, like the financial hub of Germany, or am I making that up? No, it is the financial hub of Germany. But funnily enough, for the longest time of their existence, they were the financial basket case of Germany, the club that is. <laughs> <laughs> so they've turned it around. Then they, they have they've turned realized it who they are. Yeah, and it, that's Freddie. That's Freddie Bobic's work, um, who's of course recently got fired by Hertha. But um, he's he's laid the foundation for what they are today, um, together with Adi Hütter, and now of course it's Markus Krusche uh, and Oliver Glasner. And I think Glasner might actually be the best head coach in German football at the moment. Um, he's what he's been doing there is just fantastic. They're running out a little bit of the steam. I mean, I, I mentioned that on the podcast right um, on Monday. Um, I think that them game going out from the Champions League might actually be a good thing for them at this stage. Um, sort of last year they 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 won the Europa League, but they completely for by by foregoing the Bundesliga completely. Right, they finished somewhere in the middle there. Um, but they sort of said, okay, we'll have a real chance of winning the Europa League. Let's just go for it, and it meant that all the other competitions they felt completely off. They were never going to win the Champions League, right? So to get back into the Champions League, they have to finish top four. And I think they're getting now to that point where they have to make some tough decisions and say, okay, well, 
you know, Napoli, that's done. We lost 2-0 at home. We're not coming back. Kulumuani is suspended for the return. Let's just go all in for the Bundesliga. And I think you will see soon where they're going to shift towards that. Uh, Oliver Glasner is such a strong manager that uh, he's made the English press pay attention to the Bundesliga because I saw my first story today about how he would be a Chelsea. great replacement for, yeah, Graham Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> no one um, is going to take over that dumpster fire of a club. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it. I mean, Jesse Marsh is available. Uh, they can go for Jesse mm. Marsh. Why not? Uh, unless Leipzig want him back. I doubt that's going to be the mm. case. Uh, well, Manuel, thank you so much for talking about many of the clubs we talked about. We didn't get to everybody, but I think that's okay. I had questions about Gladbach and Marcus Taram and, and how quickly he will end up signing for Bayern Munich. I don't know if that will happen. Uh, but if it does, we will have you back to talk more Bundesliga. We'll have you back uh, before the end of the season as we yeah. get closer to like the run-in uh, for the Bundesliga. I promise it won't be another six months. Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, has it been six months? I don't know. Time is meaningless, but I feel like it's been since around the start of the season would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked. Well, yeah, we did talk like maybe in September, October. Yeah. The World Cup really threw things off because oh. I think normally we would have had a conversation around December. That's a good yeah. kind of stopping point, taking stock of the Bundesliga. But when you have a World Cup thrown right in there, it kind of complicates matters a little bit. I'll tell you oh. what. Yeah. Let's let's go back to it uh, in about six, seven weeks when we've seen this Dortmund run. And then like we can take stock again. I like this plan. My final question for you. Uh, we haven't talked to you, I, I guess, since the World Cup. So how was the what World Cup for you, the Manuel? World Cup? What yeah, happened? Canada, Germany, uh, doing fun things um, for you. Yeah, no, it's like, let's just pretend that never happened. <laughs> Fair enough. The Euros are right around the corner. All Which will we host, well. by the way. Germany hosts the Euros. Yeah, with your hand clap in charge, so I heard. No, no, I think that that tournament will be Hansi Flick's. And then Hansi, uh, Hansi Klopp, Jurgen Klopp for 2026? I mean, Flick is going to win the Euros. That's a good place to step down, right? Oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> then he can take over Chelsea. There we go. We solved it. Uh, well, Manuel Vade, thank you so much. Uh, one more time, how can people find you? How can people hear more from you? Yeah, so people can find me on Twitter, uh, at Manuel Veff. Um, then, of course, I work for Transfermarkt. I do also do write about 10 columns a month for Forbes on German football. And then, of course, the Gegenpressing podcast. Um, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. And then, of course, on Substack, uh, just Gegenpressing newsletter. Um, you get, if you do sign up, it's $6 a month. You get you two podcasts um behind the paywall you get the other two podcasts without advertising and you get two newsletters one from me one from stefan um so stefan's are worth reading that's for sure and then the additional content that we come up with here and there um which is not promised but um we do provide at times so yeah you can find that at the gegenpressing newsletter um on substack i guess is it at gegenpressing newsletter if you look at substack i'm not sure i think there's a search function you can find us there we go. Use the search function, function, find them, subscribe. It is wonderful. Manuel is wonderful as always. Thank you again, Manuel, for taking the time. No, thanks for having me on. It's been great. And as we said, way too long. Of course, of course. Six weeks, seven weeks from now, we'll see how Dortmund are doing. Until then, listeners, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Cheers. Cheers.